You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. All right, welcome to episode number 18 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm joined today uh, by Tyler Leggett. Tyler is based in Toronto, Canada. Uh, and is the head coach and director of uh, an academy called Upright Rugby. Uh, he's played rugby for 15 years in both Canada and Australia, and as well as some time with the Canadian Classics team as well. Uh, he started coaching when he was 20 and has been involved in school, club, and university rugby, uh, but now dedicates his time uh, to Upright Rugby and its player development program. Uh, in, in Upright Rugby, he specialises in skill acquisition, assessment, and refinement, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Tyler, so welcome. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I certainly have enjoyed your show uh, all along. I gave you a ring right away, so uh, when you started this up, um, uh, I think it's a fantastic idea, so pleasure to be here. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, so went into a bit of your backstory there. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit on some of that stuff? Uh, yeah, you know, I, it's a fascinating game for me and one that has become sort of a pursuit, uh, a lifelong pursuit. Um, I didn't start really young. I mean, I started in high school. I was about 15. And, uh, you know, I've been playing soccer and I've been playing basketball, um, but I was a pretty aggressive kid growing up. So that sort of lent itself to, to rugby, I think. And, uh, you know, as as I sort of developed as a player, I wanted to keep playing more. And and uh, there were certain certainly good opportunities with clubs in the area, but uh, I knew eventually I'd have to be moving on. So when I went and I, I traveled overseas to do my schooling, I got a chance to play over in Australia as well. But the coaching stuff, uh, that's that's also been a bit of a journey. You know, I, I think I had some really good coaches when I was younger, and uh, they weren't always rugby coaches, uh, but uh, they've always made sort of a, a, a positive impression on me, and I think about those ones and uh, what it did for me. As a young man, I know that it, there's sort of that influence for you as an adult mm. and what you want to uh, what you want to do. So it's been a long time happening, a long time in the making. But it's you know rugby and it's been those influential coaches all along that's got me here. Yeah, absolutely, they're pretty important, huh? You know, uh, it's interesting when you talk about coaches. I've I've heard some of the great interviews that you've had, and the things that keep coming up in terms of coaches are those uh, those personal attributes. It's not just what they do and what they know, but it's how they make you feel. And I think the ones that were most influential with me were certainly ones that made me feel good about what I was doing. Even in those tough moments, they really connected with me. So I've been fortunate there. Yeah, good lessons there for sure as a, as a coach now. All right, cool. So um, you, you're now focusing your time on Upright Canada, the Upright Canada program. Um, what's, what's a general description of that program with regards to when it runs, athlete profile, contact time with the athletes, uh, the different programs and those kind of things. Yeah, it's a very comprehensive program, uh, something that's been building since 2007 when I started. And originally it started as summer, a summer vocation for me. I'm a high school teacher full time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been landscaping for years in my summers. And at that time I was pursuing uh, some pretty high level playing. You know, I wanted to crack at Canada. I wanted to crack at the national side. The RCSL was going on at that time. And so being involved in that and, you know, knowing what the long days of landscaping can do to you, I, you know, there's only so much energy I had to dedicate to training. And so yeah. 
I like coaching. I love being involved with kids. Uh, so I really decided to sort of change gears and get in, get in and start a summer camps program. So that's how we started off is just running camps for kids. You know, we had some growing pains, but I got good people involved. Uh, Dan Pletch was young at the time. He got involved. Brooke Hilditch is another. She's a very talented female player. She got involved when we did our summer coaching together. We ran camps together for two, three years uh, just in Oakville uh, for the first few years. Right. It's gr- yeah, it's growing since then, though. Um, out of that, those summers, you know, we connected with a couple critical athletes, and the real tipping point was when we connected with a, a young player at, he's at Western now. He's in his final year. His name is Mike Santangeli. He's his dad. Um, sort of said, you know, I really like what you do for my son. Do you do training in the winter? And it hadn't occurred to me at that time. Mm. Uh, but he was familiar with the hockey model. And, and consequently, I was at McMaster University where we have a really comprehensive off-season training program. Yeah. I was an assist, assistant coach there. And so just looking what Mac had set up in its program, um, Dave Santangeli came in and said, you know, you got to think about what hockey's doing with their sport. Uh, rugby needs that. Uh, I really think you'd be good at it. And so, you know, he was, he was sort of the push to send us into this player development program that we run now through the winters. That's great. And uh, so, so how long has that player development program been going for and, you know, what's it entail? This is our fifth, fifth year, I believe. Uh, 2010, yeah, this is our fifth, sixth year, heading into our sixth. So yeah. it's a 20-week program. Yeah. It always has been. I think, you know, it's it's evolved and it's changed. In its first years, we had a very, very talented group of athletes. And it's not to say we don't have talent now, but that core group, um, out of that group, you know, we had, I believe, eight people go on and play with the junior national team at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, names like uh, Chris Woodhead, uh, who's at MAC now, Sawyer Heron, who's the starting hooker at UVic, and, of course, Justice Sears DeRue. Uh, who just recently played with the World Cup. All of those yeah. young men uh, were involved with our program. A very talented female at the time was Charlie Mokon. She got early recognition as a talented athlete and player for Canada. So this really strong core group, and there's, some of them are still playing high level. Kaino Lloyd is playing with the Ontario Blues. Um, Eric Garnham suffered some strong, you know, some tough injuries, but he was a really talented player at Canada U18. So as we've gone through that, and you know, we realize that we've We've attracted other athletes. Um, we've also realized that we've had to change our program. We can't always cater to the elite athlete. There are other kids that want to get better. And yeah, so for sure. The, I guess the focus isn't necessarily to make elite athletes, which is why we changed from the elite athlete development program, and we've renamed it now the player development program so that you know it's kids of a variety of age groups of different experiences, of different skill levels and abilities come into the program with the same, same goals, though, to be the best player they can be. Okay, that's great. I really like that. What? So what? How? How's the the twenty weeks broken up? How? How, how often do you see see the kids, and um, you know how many staff are involved in those kind of things? Yeah, excellent question. We get over uh, one hundred and fifty hours of training with that PDP program, um, and that doesn't happen at every age grade. We've got U fourteens. This year we introduced a U twelves. Great. The 150 hours is really focuses on the U16s and U18s. They're training three times a week for 20 weeks. Wow, that's awesome. It is. It's really good. Um, we start, you know, timing's important. I think as, uh, as, an, as an Aussie coming to Canada, you realize that hockey's one thing, but also the other traditional sports are still pretty influential. So mm. we don't actually get rolling until the gridiron season stops um, at the end of October. So we start up that last week of October. And we roll right until uh, the end of March. Yeah. Okay. 
Oh, that's great. And that gets them ready for their for their high school stuff then. And uh, exactly later their club rugby. Perfect. And yeah. what kind of how's it funded? Uh, do you, do you get a mix of funding, player funding, uh, and government, or it's or it's solely uh, you know players? Well, not really players. Parents <laughs> coughing yeah. coughing up. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Uh, that's always been something that's been sort of a thorn in my side about it. Uh, you know, even coming through myself, I had to pay to play. Yeah. Uh, even when I started moving up in representative stuff, I know still that our women pay to play, yeah. which is which is uh, a very unfortunate circumstances. Absolutely. And the, the top athletes, you know, they're being pulled in a lot of directions. And not only that, their tour still costs money at the junior national level. So mm. funding is a big issue. It's pay, pay to train. Um, it's a professional service. We're professional coaches. We bring in top level coaches, even with our, our young age grades, we're bringing in Canada U20, Canada U18 players that have a, a strong pedigree. And they've also had, you know, very positive coaching influences. But that being said, the family still, uh, I think there's some reservation in moving into a private program still within our sport. Yeah. You know, that seems to be, people are more than willing to pay you that for hockey uh baseball in canada is another one that's a lot of strong private interest but right now rugby serve on the as a, is still a fringe sport so while there's some interest in that um you know people aren't quite as open to do that yeah well hopefully hopefully that changes like we, you you were in vancouver um last weekend for the for the irb or the world rugby now the world rugby sevens and that was just a an amazing success and awesome event so that's got to be an angle too that you're you you look into um, sevens rugby, and I know you do a lot of tours with uh, with various programs as well. I do, you know, and that's something, of course, we won't, you know, we'd like to leverage on. But really, what what I want to do, or what I'm hopeful of, I guess, is that it generates enough interest um, that there's just that critical mass of growth, yeah. you know, that that other that our other programs like my own will start up, and that other people will get interested. And as these other opportunities pop up, you know, people will start to realize that it's an investment in their son or daughter's uh, long-term, you know, rugby career. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's real positive opportunities if you connect with the right people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think the next step definitely for 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 tier two countries is. Giving kids an opportunity outside of that age grade stuff. Uh, where do they go from high school? Are they going to get tapped on the shoulder for a, for a, for a quality university education that that kind of their rugby helped them get there? Yeah, it's it's tough, right? Like in Ontario, we've always been critical of the fact that our athletes go out to BC to play. Mm. Um, but it will be interesting to see what happens if our athletes start going to the states to play, whether yeah. they're in BC <laughs> or in, or in yeah. Ontario, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I know I talked to Jeff Williams about it. Uh, he was a good buddy of mine last summer. You know, there's a lot of young guys that get approached when we're down in Vegas to go off and, and uh, potentially get scholarships there. And, you know, Canadian education is one thing that uh, you can never fault. And uh, Canadian coaching is one thing you can never fault. But I think what's really appealing is to have that education paid for in the United States. If the rugby is just as strong, if it's just as competitive, and it certainly looks like it's heading that way, if the coaching's just... If it's as comparable, um, then those are good opportunities for people to seek out. And, and the growth in the states is just astounding. Like it's, it's, it's unreal. Phenomenal. Oh yeah, it's phenomenal what's happening down there. Yeah, and anyone like I, I know coming from Australia, like USA rugby was just a kind of blip on the radar. It wasn't even mentioned, and it probably isn't mentioned a lot now. But watch out, man! Like they're they're yeah. getting they're getting it together, and yeah. they've just got 
an amazing pool of athletes. And you just look at like that seven side. Like Carla yeah. Niles is amazing, but then you know they pull out someone like Perry Baker, who's just yeah. unbelievable. And yeah, he is. There's, there's guys and girls like that in their player pool that just don't know their rugby players yet. It's it's frightening. But it's interesting to see what the states has done, right? Like Nigel Melville, he he has no qualms about it. He just says, okay, well, who are the people that are key critical stakeholders here? Who are the people that are really investing in the game? Mm. And private or not, it doesn't matter to us. We want to grow the game. And yeah. if these are the people that are willing to do that, we're going to back them. Like yeah. what, what Sarevi did and what Atavis did, you know, they were all acknowledged and, and endorsed and supported by USA Rugby. Yeah. It's, it's a different political landscape up here. It is something that's going to take time. But it's interesting to see what, you know, free enterprise and endorsing and supporting those who are capable and talented of of pushing the game, allowing them to do that, it, it's very interesting to see what that's been able to accomplish in the yeah, States. In a, in a pretty short time, too. A very short time. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's one that I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to on the, on this show with other guests. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's one that's uh, really interesting from my standpoint. Um, all right. So what, what have been some of the challenges of, of running a private academy that like you do? And, and you know, if anyone was like looking to to do exactly what we're just talking about and, and, and develop players and try and create players for the national pool, what, what would be some advice from your, you know, or it's probably close to a decade of experience of doing such a thing? Yeah, the, you know, the biggest impediment is actually facility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as strong as a brand as, as we've been able to grow over the past seven years, as positive a reputation as we have within the rugby community, it's still its facility and it's when we can get the time on the fields. You, you mentioned uh, our sevens program. Our sevens program's growing from two teams to now six teams wow, that we run. And we're, we're a travel team. We train eight months of the year. Um, and really, you know, the fact that it's the Upright Rugby Academy, that's a bit of a misnomer to, to a lot of the stuff that, that we actually do. You know, that there's a player development program. There's summer camps that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, if there was the traditional concept of an academy, and, uh, you know, taking athletes and working with them over a long period of time and putting them in a competitive structure, that's where our sevens program really, really fits in. And, and even in that program, despite the fact that we tour internationally, despite the fact, you know, we've collaborated with the Maple Leaf program, if, if I go to any soccer facility that has what we need in terms of field space and say, look, this is what, who we are and what we've done, they'll go, well, we've got a teeny little window right over here for you. We can fit you in at midnight yeah. On, yeah. on a Saturday. Like, <laughs> I've been on the receiving end of that, man. Yeah, I'm sure you have. So. Well, that's something uniquely uh, North American. I, I'm pretty sure they, they face the same challenges in the U.S. as well. But like, yeah. availability of field space in the Southern Hemisphere or well, in Australia, I can only speak for it's it's not an issue, you know. Like you can you can you can get a field, you can get it outdoors. The climate's conducive to that. But yeah. But especially if you're running a winter program, you need indoors. You need you need field turf. Uh, you can't just use a basketball gym. Uh, you might be yeah. able to use it for some, but you need you know primarily be on field turf, and and that's costly. And uh, people look at rugby and say, oh, like don't you guys dig up the field? Don't you do? I don't yeah. know weird stuff that's gonna gonna influence <laughs> like how we run our business and yeah, yeah it's it's quite the the perception that people have who are not from rugby yeah very true and and so then you think about what it takes to to run a program like this or create it it's facilities is paramount mm. you know 
if there are good people involved and if, if they're passionate and, and truly committed to what they do, um, they'll be able to, to start a program. And I know there are others that have, have tried and have had some success. And I know I'm aware of others that are, are trying to grow in BC. And it really takes an earnest, passionate, you know, committed effort to do that. But even if you are driven to the ends of the days, if, if you don't have a place to go and train, you don't yeah. have a place to go uh, and train. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, and I feel that pain. Like I'm, I'm in the third year of running um, the Quebec Academy and we've got a great little facility, nice turf, indoor turf. And yeah. uh, it turns out we, we can't go there next year because they're, they're tearing the whole building down and building condos. So uh, the priorities uh, are a bit, a bit slanted there. Yeah. Yeah. So where are you going to end up? You end up in a warehouse that's got you know, like these I-beam pilings about every 20 feet or whatever. It's, yeah. it's a good agility drill, but yeah. it doesn't. it's not conducive to training. No, so. no, absolutely. All right, cool. Yeah, that's, that's some good challenges. What else, what else have you got? Like uh, what other things, have, like little speed bumps, have you come across? You know what? I think for it to become a, a, a prodigious program, we need to find a way to, to be more successful at um, – establishing and really working on positive relationships with people that are in in the game um, and I mean that that have a vested interest from a government level or a vested interest from a commercial level and you know really work on those relationships so that we both see that we have mutual interests at heart and at the end of, end of days it's the same goals in mind you know uh, we've been very fortunate to connect with some people within the Maple Leafs who, who sort of are of the same opinion that Look, we got to get these guys playing. We got great players. They need opportunities. You've got an opportunity for them to play. Great, go. Um, and so I think the more people that open their eyes to that and that are uh, more willing to to share in the in the mutual growth of the game, I think that will be better. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like I just look at the 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 length of the season. That was the first thing that struck me when I moved here uh, eight years ago. Like we have a ten game rugby season. Like that's just ridiculous from yeah. me. Like that, that, that you know, you're looking, you're looking at a, a normal rugby season is you know sixteen to twenty games uh, plus trial games plus you know touring teams and all that kind of stuff. And and our guys and girls get get ten games. Our high school, my high school season is six weeks. It's six just, weeks, it's I know. A, it's out of control. So yeah. So that's the biggest challenge I think in tier two countries is getting lots of games and getting like good quality games too. A, a team, mm -hmm. a team needs to play up against another team and have its, have its ass handed to them and, and to make them realize, Hey, that's actually what rugby is meant to look like. And where do I, where do I go from here now that I know? Yeah. I think, you know, half that time is funny. You mentioned high school, half that time is spent teaching them the game. So those first three yeah. weeks, right? Like, this is a ball. Here's how you pass. And then here's how you tackle. And then next thing you know, that season's over Yeah. for the hurdles in terms of the growth of upright rugby or any other persons that want to take this on, um, you know, finding those angles and, and putting yourself in a situation that aligns yourself with the people that have larger interests in the game you know, like the rugby clubs. One of the things we've started to do recently, you know, we were trying to partner with high schools and get in and deliver programming there, and there's a critical need and a critical interest, especially with the people we have involved uh, as coaches. But now we've, we've started to look at the clubs um, and come in and provide some guidance and some, some curriculum um, and look at coach development as well within their programs. Mm. Similar to, I guess, what Atavis would have done in the States. And, you know, we have 
three rugby clubs that we work with now that are essentially powered by upright rugby at the junior levels. And that what that means is that we come in and and we work with their coaches, we work with their junior directors, we we implement um, an off off-season training curriculum with connections to their long-term um, outdoor goals. And yeah. so if if you don't build those bridges, if you don't work on those relationships, it is, it's very difficult to grow. Yeah, absolutely. It's key. Uh, and clubs, clubs play a, like a, a massive role in that for sure. They do. Uh, be, being open to it, um, realizing there's only so much that they can do that's within their capacity. You know, um, the, like, like a high school program, they're busy teaching the – the big stuff, the game, uh, here's how we're going to win and what our tactics are on the day. Uh, mm-hmm. So for us to come in and provide some technical um, you know, know-how and some technical knowledge, I think is very helpful for them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, if, anyone, if, if someone was to watch a session coached by you, what's some of the things they're going to they're gonna see in here? Uh, it's evolved over time, I think, as we all do. Absolutely. As, you know, but uh, I really subscribe to the whole part whole there for a yeah. long time, almost more so purely games-based. I really like mm-hmm. Pierre Villepreux's stuff yep. um, that was brought over and probably one of the reasons uh, Francois Rattier and I get along so well is that, you know, we like that that organic and dynamic style of play and having the kids figure it out. I think that's very important. Yeah. And I, I had abandoned the technical scope for a little while there, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because my background is more in basketball. And I remember some of the best camps that I went to in the States. There was a heavy, heavy emphasis on technical skills. Yeah, and they, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think if I started counting today, I'd still be counting by the time I died the number of free throws I had to shoot, you know. Mm. Um, and so now it's, it's evolved. There's far more emphasis on the technical skill. So we do whole part whole, but every, every part is, is a technical focus. Yeah. So our, our games are, our games are, uh, designed and sort of focused on a particular outcome. So if we want to work on catch pass and we're looking at fixing defenders, you know, we'll do, we'll do an overload. So there'll be more attackers than defenders or a defender will have to drop or retreat or something like that to yeah. create those, that, you know, that open space and those opportunities. If we're looking at converging, you know, we look at two touch turnover yeah. so that players are converging and we're working on footwork and attacking a flat line. So, but at any point in time, you know, if we see that something's not working in that technical component, if it's footwork, if it's catch pass, if it's just catch, if it's extension, if it's whatever it is, if it's depth, then the breakout will lend itself to that that need at that time. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I I think that that's a, a, a teacher kind of fallback as well. Like the especially being a phys ed teacher, the whole part whole model I think is perfect for for rugby it, coaching. And it the game-based approach as well. It is, and you, and you know that it doesn't even need to be a ton of time, right? No. Like, they just got to get in and say, wait a minute, here's what we want, and here's what they are. So people, what they see from me as a coach, I, I, I love to be personable. Mm-hmm. It's in my nature to be that way. I love, I'm enthusiastic. I'll be out there running around with them and having fun. Yeah. Um, but I'm prepared to be assertive if I need to be. Yeah. Um, I'm particular. Um, if the outcomes, if, if I say freaking long and strong and it's not long and strong in that ball placement you know it's a turnover yeah um a lot of call out too and so you know i, I try to come up with names and phrases um you know little things in ter- like alliteration or yeah. just, you know some teaching stuff mm. that's going to be helpful for them um they're the that best I think learning tools they are so that you can call it out easy and it's a quick early reminder mm. 
you know, if it's, if it's follow through on pass, we don't say follow through, it's just extension mm. and they know they got it. Or we yeah. say shoot guns and they know, yeah, show exactly. That's get the hands up, stuff like show 10, get those hands up. They know it's show 10, they hear that. And so they're just little call outs that well, along with me running around there and having some fun is probably what it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. Uh, it sound, uh, sounds pretty similar to, to some of the stuff I do as well. I think there's the use of analogies and uh, those kind of things are very powerful, powerful learning tools. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So um, that's, that's awesome. Uh, if, if someone like you've got, you've got some stuff coming up, you, you mentioned summer camps and those kind of things. If someone wanted to get in, well, what's a, what's a bit of an idea of those kind of things? And if someone wanted to get in contact with you, how would they do, go about that? Yeah, uh, we run summer camps now since 2007. They're uh, mostly day camps. So we focus on kids U10 now up to U14. And uh, we partner with local rugby clubs. Oakville Crusaders has always been a great partner for us. Burlington Centaurs. Uh, this year we're looking to partner with the Hamilton Hornets. Okay. Uh, the, Tro- the Toronto Nomads. These are all clubs in and around uh, the GTA. The center of the universe. The center of the universe, exactly. Yeah. And so we partner with them. We run five-day camps and we sort of tour about. Uh, we partner, our, our, you know, our biggest success lately has been with Toronto City Rugby and the Metro Toronto Rugby Alliance. And we've been running back-to-back weeks uh, in July in downtown Toronto, the Rosedale Park. We have a great program there where we get, you know, upwards of 60 kids uh, you know, for two weeks. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then last year, we're very, very fortunate. You know, something I've been working on with Graham Brown when he was CEO is getting in and running camps in partnership with Rugby Canada. So we ran our first resident overnight resident camp last summer. Uh, huge success. You know, we were we were hopeful of getting maybe 50 kids, and, and we almost topped 100 in our wow, first year. That's fantastic. So, right. so it's great. We'll be partnering with them again, and we're running uh, an all girls camp in, in early July, and that's going to be in Appleby. Um, Appleby College in Oakville, and then we'll be back at St. Andrews Boys College for an all-boys camp in August. That's right. All right, so, so people can contact you via Upright uh, Twitter and those kind of things? Yeah, there's a Twitter address. It's uh, upright, you know, twitter.com forward slash Upright Rugby, and then a Facebook page is uh, Facebook forward slash Upright Rugby Canada. Um, you can email me, info at uprightrugby.ca. The other venture that uh, we're after, we're always looking for seven stuff. It's really growing. It's really booming. You know, I mentioned that core group of athletes we had years and years ago. Uh, if it were up to me, I would have made a sevens team back then with yeah, those guys. Yeah. Believable. So we now now we're out. We realize that we have to have that, and so we start training mid June, and we go through summer tour schedule. We train all the way through um, through fall. And then, you know, the pinnacle tournament for us is Vegas. And we're thinking of alternating Vegas and Vancouver every other year. So that's the next venture for us is looking at what our summer tours are going to be and and planning those out and getting those teams involved. Busy summer, busy summer. If you need a guest coach, let me know. eh? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love to go on a, on a Vegas tour of Vancouver one. You're going to have to arm wrestle fast Freddie there and see how that goes. Yeah. 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 Uh, we'll, We'll alternate. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. All right, mate. Well, uh, we always we always end the show with um, four final questions. Who who was your f- favorite rugby player when you were growing up as a kid? Uh, you know what? Doesn't go back that far. I, we didn't have a lot of access to rugby when yeah. I was a kid. Um, I really liked Carlos Spencer. I thought he was just an absolute wizard there. Yeah, and, that was and, good. Uh, yeah, George Gregan, of Legend. course. Of yeah, course. he was a beauty, and I mean, he revolutionized the way that that, that spot is played. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Jonah Lamu was just a massive beast. And yeah. uh, again, he really, 
he changed the sport, just not sure. only the athlete he was, but what he did for the game. Yeah. Um, and he demonstrated, you know, what guys of his size are capable of. Um, it's funny. I looked at my notes and I mentioned a, a younger Dan Carter, but then he, I just saw him. Does it right a, now. <laughs> yeah, he does it right now. For, he had a 94 breakout, uh, meter breakout there with his team on the weekend. So yeah. he's unbelievable. Like, I can fairly think of uh, many players in the past that will ever, or in the future, that will compare to him. Yeah, I look at him and I just think, like, generational player. You're not going to see one of them again for another, you know, 20 years. Like, not not putting down any other, you know, elite 10 or anything like that. But yeah. Australia had Steve Larkham. Uh, New Zealand had Dan Carter. and um, Larkham you know. was nice. I liked him. He was very smooth as a player. Uh, you know, he just had a nice grace about him and always got just floated that ball out there nicely. But yeah. Carter, there's a little bit of a slash in there. He had nice footwork, great acceleration. That's what I really liked about him. And um, I still think about that Lions tour in 2005. He did that this rubber down the sideline, yeah. ran out of bounds, yeah. came back in and pinned it in the corner for the try. And then I don't know, he must have scored 20 points that yeah. game. It's incredible. Well, I'm pretty confident Stephen Larkin can do that as well. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question: Who's who's one of your favorite rugby players going around right now? Uh, besides uh, Dan Carter, I've always uh, <laughs> loved uh, Matt Kittle. Yeah. Uh, I kind of he was probably a player similar similar to myself Johnny Wilkinson I was more of a defensive 10 than uh yeah you know I have my moments but I love to hit and uh yeah. it's great to be able to see a first five eights be able to go uh, out and knock guy. on the big guys yeah. yeah back row stuff I love Michael Hooper yeah um he's phenomenal um but Conrad Smith is is another one that's out there the snake I just think in terms of an all-around player yeah he's pretty he, special he doesn't shine like uh you know Dan Carter or these others might, but he's steady in, in the fact that he's doing what he's done for so many years and at, at such a difficult spot to defend, yep, yep. such a, a key spot to attack from. Uh, he's one of my favorites. Yeah, he's come up a few times in the show, and I, I really rate him highly, mainly for that defensive aspect too. It's just like it, he just doesn't, doesn't miss tackles. No, and it's yeah. such a challenging position to uh, yeah, defend, yeah. right? For sure. Uh, what about – oh, sorry. Yeah, go. Yeah. I was just going to say there'd be some sevens guys as well. Yeah, sure. We'll give them a mention. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> they are rugby players. Yeah, yeah, apparently. Even though the first one's built like an 800-meter runner, I, I, I'm just blown away by what Perry Baker's doing. Yeah, it's unreal, eh? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if he played rugby in high school, but even if he didn't, the fact that he's doing what he's doing on the international stage is awesome. Yeah. The little the patience down the sideline in, the, in, in Vancouver there, he had that break up the sideline, and then a little show and go as the defense collapsed, and then he just accelerated again through the middle and scored that one try. Um, Phil Mickelson, I wrote down Phil Mickelson. Who's the guy? I'm... Phil Mack. Yeah, Philly Mack. Um, yeah, I actually was fortunate enough to play for him a number of years ago. The Classics uh, were out in Calgary for, for a game there against the Yanks, and we re recruited some young, young guys to come in there and help us uh, try to... <laughs> put one over on the Americans there and he is just an unbelievable player is not only what you see in terms of his skill and his mobility but his strength for weight is really what sets him apart and I think you saw that in that one game where he they sort of took it on their shoulders against the states when they went down mm. and then uh, Frick he got fire in his eyes he went down that sideline he fended off that guy for the try it was incredible so he's a great player yeah right yeah I agree he's uh, you know if, if, he, if he was in a Southern Hemisphere team, uh, country, he'd be a starting Super 15 player, hands down. Uh, Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. Okay, and what about coaches? Who are, who's, uh, who's a high-profile coach that you like what they're doing? I uh, would have to 
obviously comment on Graham Henry. Yeah. Just uh, the reverence that people have for him. I, I got to meet him. Um, really soft-spoken, has a calm demeanor. Um, and you can tell that he looks at things from a teacher, from a learning perspective. Mm-hmm. There has yeah. to be a process involved. And he, I like that he's, you know, critical of himself. He talked about giving speeches and he used his sense of humor well, which I think is, is a valuable asset as a coach. Yeah. I, I bring, up, bring up Michael Cheka does the same, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to finally get to, to meet him and see him at that rugby summit. Yeah, that was fantastic. You can tell it when he wants to lay it on the line and when he really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can tell what he's going to drop the hammer, right? But yeah, yeah. He has a great sense of humor. And again, there's a personal side of the coaches yeah. that, think players need to see absolutely and what about what about someone with a lesser profile that's uh chipping away and doing good work uh well you know he doesn't necessarily have a lesser profile now but it's sean allen sean allen's the assistant coach with the women's team he and i coached at mac for for a number of years at mcmaster university in hamilton um sean and dan pletch and myself uh, spence fullerton who's there now um, well, all were sort of mentored by Phil White, who um, I highly respect and have a lot of time for. I think he just did a fantastic job of, of you know, making young people better, not just young rugby players, but making young people better, um, but also making good coaches and, and introducing pedagogy as a coaching practice, which is yeah. difficult to do without forcing it on people, you know, and, and taking through courses. And he just did it by modeling best practices, and, and he did a great job. So. Up-and-comers would be Sean Allen, Pletchy, of course. I love working with Jeff Williams. It's great. I love his enthusiasm and his knowledge and passion for the game. Um, and then I think in the looking ahead, there are going to be some great coaches um, coming up. Andrew Ferguson is a young man that's worked with me for geez, five years now. Since he was a U, U18, he's got involved with summer camp stuff. Four years for sure. That's right. Uh, um, real technical knowledge, a great communication skills, um, and a real eye for detail, which is important. And then uh, on the female side, I love uh, Colette McCauley. I think she's awesome. I think she does an awesome job. And future stars will be Cindy Nellis. She, she's the same as, as Ferg. Good eye, good commitment to the game, and, and a great communication style. She really commands an audience, but you know, also steps back and, and has a sense of humor as well. Which that's is awesome. They're, they're fortunate they're starting so young too. That's, that's going to be huge down the track. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, mate. Well, I really enjoyed the chat, and I appreciate you taking your time out after a busy uh, Vegas and uh, Vancouver 7 schedule. Um, it's been good, good touch and base with you. You're doing great work there, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll have to venture my way to the center of the universe and <laughs> uh, catch a session or something like that. It would be fantastic. Absolutely. You're always welcome, as are other coaches. You know, uh, We had a, a coach from a local college come and, and what, you know, be a part of spectator some of our seven sessions and get involved, and, and that's what it's about. It's about growing the game. So if you can make it, uh, make it south here to, to the center of the universe, it would be great to have you. All right, mate. I'd love to get there. All right, well, uh, thanks for the chat, and uh, we'll, we'll catch up soon at a, another rugby event somewhere in this country. I hope so. It's always good to see you. All right, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com.
Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.